Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. And today I'm talking to great leaders from Batlow. Batlow is in the foothills of the Snowy Mountains in the Riverina District and is home to the famous Batlow Apple and it supplies 10% of Australia's apples and its other major employer in the area is forestry. But it was a dark and difficult summer in Batlow. The town was deemed undefendable when the Duns Road fire headed towards the town on the 2nd of January and residents were ordered to evacuate. No lives were lost, but the blaze swept through the town, blew up the petrol station and destroyed 17 homes. Michelle Wainwright is the principal of Batlow Technology School. She had a farm outside Batlow and and lost everything there and is now trying to rebuild and is living in a house up the road. Um, Michelle was made substantive principal this year at Batlow Technology uh, School after leaving as principal in 2019. And she's a former chef and she came to education after traveling the world. She started work as an SLSO at Tumut High then did an accelerated teaching course, and now she runs Batlow Technology School. Michael Blenkins is relieving principal at Tumbarumba High School, and he has a farm outside West Batlow and is president of the Batlow Rural Fire Service. Um, uh, Michael assumed during the fires that his house was lost, but miraculously the house was saved, but the rest of the infrastructure was lost. He's been relieving principal at Tumbarumba High School for the past 18 months and was deputy before that for four years and the head teacher of English uh, for 15 years. Welcome to you both, Michelle and Michael, to the Every Student Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Michael, um, besides being a school principal, as I said, you're president of the Batlow Rural Fire Service. Can you tell us about the days leading up to the Batlow Fire? Yeah, look, there was a a fair lead-in. We were out at the um, fire at Ellerslie, and uh, that, that's where there was um, attempts to contain the fire in the um, private pine and the uh, national park, but uh, it eventually got away on us. So we were trying to contain the fire there, but prior to that, just after school ended up, we were putting out and monitoring fires that had been deliberately lit, sadly. So yeah, it was go, go, go from the minute the uh, school holiday started. Yeah, and uh, during the fire, I understand you were, you were fighting the fire with your son, uh, Edmund. Uh, as I said, uh, you had real apprehension your own house had been lost during the fires. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, we'd written off our area, uh, effectively our properties, back onto the uh, state forests. And um, we, we understood that all the properties along our road, at least, would be lost. Um, so we were doing backburning around... Um, the pines and, and other areas around the perimeter of the town, uh, hoping that we would stop and contain the fire before it even got to the town. And, and Michelle, what was your experience in the days leading up to the fire? Well, we were away, so mm. it was um, entirely different for us. So we had our son at home, so that was really scary for us. Um, so we could only listen to the um, RFS radio to try and understand what was happening. The big thing for us was that our children and our family were safe. Um, So we listened for days and days and um, the day that I dropped my husband at Cairns Airport was the day that we learnt that we'd lost everything. Um, So that was really heartbreaking. But when we got back to town, that was when the hard work started and we knew that we had to bring our community 
back together. Um, I knew that our students had been evacuated, as many others had been, and not only once, but quite a few times. So the work started then. So let's talk about that a bit. Uh, I remember visiting uh, schools in Term 1 that had been in the heart of the fire zone and was struck at what school principals themselves had been through with their family and then all of a sudden have to turn around and lead a community that had been through a traumatic event. How did you deal with your own exhaustion and anxiety that had been triggered by that experience and then find the resilience and strength to go and um, lead a community Mm -hmm. where often that school was the the cornerstone establishment that was still there and still uh, strong when everything else had been lost? We just keep going because we love our town and we love the people in the town and we love the school. It's really important and small towns do stick together. So I just knew that I had to get back to work and I had to make sure the school was ready for first day back because that was so important for our students to be able to come back to school. So in those in those weeks uh, when you were back, you'd seen the devastation mm-hmm. in the community, but you were preparing for the return of school and the students and your staff. What were the important things that you felt you needed to get done before the students arrived? To ensure that the school was as beautiful as we could make it. Um, we knew that there was lots of burnt fences. We knew the fire had gone through the agricultural farm but it was to make it safe and it was to bring the community back into the school and show them that we were still there as a whole school, as a community, and that's why Staff Development Day, we, we brought the community in and we had morning tea just to assure them that we were all on deck and we all wanted all of their students back and we were safe. Michael, how did you think through the return and, in a sense, um, how you wanted to lead that school community? Yeah, look, um, Tumbrumba, the town that that I service at Tumbrumba High School, it it was isolated by another fire front. So I had access to the school and the town, whereas a lot of people from Tumbrumba didn't because they'd been evacuated to either Albury or to Wagga. So I really tried to to work in with my Dell, um, Jane Gill and my deputy, Megan Finnamore, we, we tried to get everything back to normal as quick as possible um, and that was our goal. We, the kids had had too much disruption, families wanted to get back to normality and as much as school might be considered mundane and dull and routine, it's something you really treasure and I think the kids really treasured once they'd been um, evacuated as the, on some occasions twice. So that was our principal goal, to get the school up and running, get back to normal to acknowledge and to identify which kids had been affected. And uh, before school resumed, we'd touch base with all those families to ensure that we could provide uniforms and um, um, any other stationary packs and so forth to support them. So, And that, that really built a great rapport with those families. So some really positive things came out of it, I must admit. So there was, in a sense, practical support for, for families that had that had lost things like school uniforms yep. and and, uh, and other things that were required for school. What, what was your, your read as to the impact of the whole traumatic experience on students? And, and could you identify early on the students who you were particularly concerned about or needed particular uh, a focus and attention and support? Or did, in a sense, that emerge over time as the school term rolled out? 
Yeah, look, it really varied. Some of the kids, for example, who had lost their homes, lost everything, um, they seemed to cope with it so well. Um, and, and they were, you know, onward and upward in terms of their application. And it really surprised me, it impressed me beyond belief. Um, in terms of other kids who were then dealing with uncertainty or with maybe lengthy insurance claims or the kids who were just plain tired and exhausted from not having had a holiday as such over the Christmas break, um, their needs were quite different. Um, and then we were told it would maybe take a term to hit people and I thought, oh, that doesn't sound right. And it indeed was the case. It really took a term to hit people um, once employment was compromised and contracts were not being renewed and people's livelihoods were under effect, then you really saw the stresses and strains with kids did and their families. Did you see the same, Michelle, that it took a while into the term before you could really get a cider on the full impact on, on students and families? Absolutely. Um, we had four families that lost their homes within the school. So we could help them straight away, but it, it has been emerging. and. This term, term two, there has been more more children um, coming and speaking to me and we're putting them forward for counselling. But as well as the children, it's the families. I was, good. I was going to ask about that. Mm. To, what, to what extent have you found yourself providing that support and that supporting infrastructure to families under pressure? It's really changed the community's thinking about um, accessing counselling. Before, they would never access counselling. Now they're reaching out and they're asking for help, not just for their child, but for their whole family. So we're counselling the whole family as well. One of the big things that, that was a focus of the department as a whole over the summer was, the, in a sense, the airlifting of counselling services mm -hmm. to parts of the state that were affected and, and counsellors who were in schools in the north or the west, um, in a sense, being redeployed to fire zones. Um, how did that counselling service you know, work as far as your schools were concerned and having that counselling support on the ground? It really has been overwhelming to have somebody on site five days a week because we have never had that opportunity. We did have a counsellor come in early on from young. She was magnificent. Um, but right now we have a full-time counsellor as well as some other contingency counsellors which is really important for our students and our families in our town. Um, it's really hard for our kids and our families to trust. So we're hoping that these counsellors will remain with us for time because they're just starting to trust now and they're just starting to open up and meet with the counsellors more often. So it's, it's, it has been magnificent to have that full-time counselling on site. What about the need to encourage counselling for staff and members of executive teams and even you know principals of schools have, have you have you, you encouraged your staff to take up counseling opportunities as well Michael? yeah um, look initially that was the focus of our staff development day in, in term one and we had um, a team there and we looked at some different professional resources including some from the um, ANU so we were there to support the staff in that sense and then we would have maybe had up to six counsellors servicing the kids in the course of term one, which might sound disruptive. It was really quite interesting because some of them were actually from Victoria and other people were from industry, not just from education. So we really had a, a lot of different eyes looking at 
the needs of our kids and our community. And, and the professional dialogues that we then had really made us stop and think about the role of counselling mm. in, in this crisis. Mm. So, and now we've uh, got a, a counsellor who has got tremendous expertise. And even with COVID, he was able to build and maintain a really good connection with our kids through the digital platform and also visiting the school. But between the two, it's really serviced the kids' needs better than perhaps what we had before, which is a real irony, but it's a real positive to come out of something quite sad and negative, yeah. Mm. Uh, It is remarkable that, you know, as we record this, we're just about halfway through the year. You know, I've joked, you know, how can we... It only be six months since Christmas. It you know seems like about nine years ago when you think about this year, starting with the fires. And I, th- I think we would have said in the department that the big, profound impact of the year was going to have been these uh, catastrophic fires that engulfed us over the the summer period. But then, of course, uh, enter the virus. Um, it's been said about the virus that it reveals the underlying condition and. And I suppose if you were exhausted or you were anxious before the virus arrived, then the virus and all the disruption that's brought has just multiplied uh, that. So when the virus hit your schools, your teachers, your students, invariably they were exhausted by the experiences of the year. They'd had, you know, an anxious year, a very disruptive year. And Michael, you said about how great it was for everyone to be back at school, all of a sudden we were saying best to learn from home. How did you go about transitioning to learning from home, given all you'd already been through in 2020? Michelle. Um, We just got up and we just did it. That's what um, my staff just, um, just ran with it. We knew that our students probably weren't going to engage with the online platform There's not great internet access within our town and a lot of our students don't have access to computers at home. They really took on the the paper um, learning that we sent home. So we sent packages home every week and they really did engage with those packages. My teachers just did a magnificent job. Um, They had those packages ready every Thursday to drop to the post office and we knew that they would be delivered by our local uh, um, postie Um, and and they worked it out with us so it worked well. These students found it really difficult because they were back in isolation again so they had just got back into school, back into their social uh, friendships and they were now back at home so it was quite a trying time for everybody and yes we were still exhausted and we were still still scared. Students were still scared because here we were again with another unknown. Mm. Um, but when we came back from COVID, you could see the students just needed to be back again. Mm. And it was back in their safe zone, back where they have their breakfast club and their teachers and their friends. So that was a positive to come back again. Michael, um, how did your students deal and your school community deal with the disruption that COVID's brought? Well, look, it varied. Um, I think some were happy to have an extended holiday, but that would be the minority. Mm -hmm. Um, Our year advisors and their teams would actually phone and touch base with all families, so there was regular contact just to see how kids were tracking not only academically but also how they were tracking in terms of their emotional needs. So that was really good to have that sort of contact. 
Um, and like Michelle's school, we sort of uh, embraced um, Google Classroom and, and other forms of um, delivering curriculum um, amazingly well, amazingly well. And so too did the staff uh, in terms of alternate you know, meeting procedures and so forth. It all worked incredibly well, um, I must say. But our, our Year 12 kids were quite anxious at times, so we put in other things in place to try and support them um, because they were quite angst-ridden about, you know, the HSC and university admission and so forth. So we had them in for a few briefing sessions and held their hand as they did early entry applications and so forth. Um, what's, and what's been your read on the disruption to learning? You know, now they're back. It was about nine weeks when kids were out of class. Mm. Some of that was <clears throat> holidays, of course, but, but nine weeks is quite a long time. Um, what's been your read of disruption to learning and how confident are you you'll be able to get kids you know, back on track given the disruption? Uh, look, we're, we're uh, going to be running HSC study hall sessions throughout Term 3 so that the kids are not only just keeping on top of assessments and assignments and learning, but also their actual exam preparation, which is a real thing I've been pushing in the school. So the kids, the kids feel as though that they're being supported in that sense. Um, other things that we've done, we haven't obviously had the HSC study days and other things that they would have normally had. Um, but the one thing I've picked up is that the kids really see the value of their teachers and that there's no substitute for a teacher out the front um, engaging them and teaching them as opposed to just online learning. So again, that's a silver lining to come out of this whole experience that I guess teachers are more appreciated perhaps than they were mm. 18 months ago. Mm. What's your read, Michelle, of how your students have gone while they've been out of school and what you've seen since they returned? Mm. Um, HSC students were the same as Michael. We're offering more classes for them. Um, sport afternoons, my teachers are up in the library and they're offering one-on-one -on -one sessions with our students and that the students know that they can come into those sessions. We're also um, just reassuring them that we're there for them and my teachers are there for them. Um, the other students are, are, have picked up greatly. Uh, we do reading clubs at lunch times with their peers. We're involving them in wellbeing sessions within the school so that we're bringing the whole school together. But they have picked up on their, their learning again. Um, and I've noticed that they're more focused on their learning, the whole school, mm. from K to 12, that they, as Michael said, they're loving coming to school now. Mm -hmm. They're loving being engaged in their classrooms. And our, our negative behaviour entries are actually lower Absolutely. than what they were Is that right? beforehand. Yeah. Yes. I've, I've had some... Um, I've had some principals say to me that they've seen, in a sense, more anxiety amongst students, which has generated, in a sense, more tension almost mm. within the school. I mean, not seeing that? Oh, there is more anxiety, mm. but I think because they're more willing to go and see that counsellor or they're more willing to actually open up and discuss what's happened to them, um, the anxiety is lessening. So um, the negative entries are lessening. It's, yeah. it's really quite an eye-opener. When I spoke to John Hattie for this podcast, he talked about the research that 
came out of New Zealand after the Christchurch earthquake and also Hurricane Katrina in the States and said that um, even though there was disruption to learning, when the students were back, there was a real focus on what needed to be mm-hmm. done. All the unimportant things seemed to fade away, and the students actually did quite well uh, that year. Not a, de- not a demonstrable fall away in performance. Mm-hmm. So that's one encouraging piece of research. I think a more sobering piece of research is research that's been done in Victoria after Black Saturday bushfires that says actually the, the level of trauma uh, on students and communities can have a, a longer and lingering effect that you see you know, for some years down the track. Uh, any um, initial reads on that or how are you thinking about the kind of support that's going to be needed for these students once the events of the first half of 2020 are gone? I can see that the support's going to need to be there long term. We know that it's going to affect all of us for the rest of our lives. It's changed our lives Mm. and it's going to change the way we live and the way we do things. Um, I can see that support has to be ongoing because the further we get into the year, the more children are coming forward and we know and we've been told to expect another spike towards the end of November coming up to the Mm. anniversary and it heats up and we know that the the town is still worried about fires both towns are because it didn't there's areas that haven't been burned burned. Um, so I I see it really necessary to keep the support that we have at the moment as ongoing and, and what are your own secrets? I mean, as I said at the beginning, you're both in the midst of it. Uh, you know, you were out there fighting the fires, Michael. I mean, you, you suffered, you know, mm. profound loss at the, at the home front, Michelle. How, how do you juggle uh, memories of that and experience of that with the daily responsibility of leading these communities? We have um, good friendships extremely good friendships and we draw on those Mm. Um, but going to school is what keeps me going I see every student every day and they're really important and my town's important and that's what keeps me going and I can tell my students um, that what they see I don't necessarily I'm not like that every day and every minute of the day and it's okay to be sad and I let them know that it is okay to be sad and it's okay to come and, and talk to me and let me know their feelings and we'll get through this together as a whole town. So it's and, and Michael, how do you reflect on the, the summer and in a sense what you've been through and, and, and the leadership you're expected to provide as part of the Rural Fire Service mm-hmm. uh, and now uh, the leadership you have to provide into your school community? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd say the school... Um, yeah, we had a leadership role there and, and quite simply we had to be that constant in the lives of the kids when so much had been lost. Um, and that's a real responsibility but a real joy that the, you know, Mr Blenkins is still there and therefore it's still moving on. And um, as I said, a lot of our staff were affected so you had to um, hold it together for the whole school. But we were sort of buttressing other initiatives within this, the, the community as well. Um, things perhaps like uh, Rotary and uh, organisations with mental health and the the Shire for example I've been involved in a lot of things there as well so I've got a bit of a 
uh, an angle across the whole community. So the school's got a really important role to play there. But in terms of me holding up to it, um, the family was very important as well. Um, colleagues out of the woodwork, principals offering to take a day here or there if, if needed. They always said, if you, if you don't think you can turn up for school or if you need some time out, um, I'd love to come up and take over Tumbrumba High School for three or four days. Uh, I didn't ever need it. I didn't take it, but it was lovely to know that that mm. option was there. Mm. Again, my deal was always there, um, but my family, you know, the the trivial side of dealing with, in, in our case, six insurance claims was my wife's responsibility, and I, I certainly couldn't have juggled dealing with that as well as running a school and leading a school. That, that would have really pushed me over the line. So um, my family certainly put in a lot. Both my kids put in a lot during the fires. So, yeah. Um, in any given year, at any time, you know, running a school is a demanding, exhausting job because of the sheer humanity, you know, all those students, all those teachers, all those parents. Um, how has this year made you different as a leader, do you think? Uh, um, do you approach the job in a different way, having been through what you've been through? Look, I, I just, I, I really see our, our function in, in society. And I'll give you an example. Two, two kids, I won't give their names. They're not kids now. But I, I was on the fire ground with many of my former students. Mm -hmm. Some were running communication centres, um, 18, 19-year-old girls that I'd taught. Um, some lads who would never have rated highly with NAPLAN or HSC, all school certificate, were out there as deputy captains. Um, salt of the earth people that, that we have a responsibility to acknowledge as students in our schools, but fight tooth and nail to retain them in our communities because they're really essential to the fabric of rural communities. Um, so I really see my students, even though some of them are now close to 40, um, quite differently now and I really value and, and I guess love them even more. So yeah, it, I've learned a lot through it. Mm. Michelle, how are you different? Um, I think it, I know it brings out um, different characteristics in people, but it's the support that's been given across the board. And Michael's right, because we're in a small town, it's those students that you have taught that will back you up that come out in the community and just help everybody get through it. Mm. And it makes you realise, it's made me realise that I can get through anything, um, but the town is really important and we need to come together as a community and work together. And it's just shown me that there's really special people out in our communities and they value their town and they value their school. and and they value the department as well. So it's just um, just reinforce that we're tough and we just keep on going day by day. And um, But it's also important to let people see that you are human and that you do have your down times. Um, and then they come and pick you up. So it's just, um, just brought that to the forefront as well. What great stories. Uh, and on behalf of everyone listening, thanks for your leadership. And thanks for your commitment to every student in your school and in your community. And thanks for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast.
Great pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.